Stephen Griffin. I appreciate the, the time, good man. It's good to see you, and I'm excited to speak with you again, candidly. No, man. It's um, thanks for having me here. I'm really excited. Uh, in terms of the content you've been putting out here with your podcast, I've been loving what I've been seeing. So I'm uh, definitely very honored that you thought you'd like to have me on the podcast. So this will be yeah, fun. Yeah, dude. Um, I, I, I'll give I'll give my friends a, a peek into how and where we overlapped and how we connected. We actually never met in person, Devin, but we did meet uh, and work together virtually. And uh, I've also followed and seen your story over the years. And I'll say. First impressions of when I when we first crossed paths, if you will, tenacious, relentless, and a man <laughs> with a, a specific aim, which I appreciated. If we were looking to hire somebody, and I'll say you are the the person that kind of sticks out as like it's literally impossible to not hire this man based on how he <laughs> approached uh, the process, not just in the actual initial intro call, but how you candidly were just very curious in all different things and thought of what I would might be going on in my head. And uh, you made it too hard to say no. So uh, a fantastic sales approach <laughs> from, from the jump on that. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, dude on that. I mean, it's, it's, it's only more impressive than when, and this is kind of why I wanted to do this with you. Cause worked with you i've seen a little bit but we've never deep dive into all of all of what you've gone through from a neuroscience or a sales or just like your personal story to end up to where you are um so if you don't mind i mean dev i mean we we share uh we'll call it academic curiosities now professional curiosities um where did that all start uh do you want to walk through just maybe university because uh in 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 my research and even our previous chats you really focused in on the extracurriculars and made sure you got involved outside of the classroom, but uh, you're still to this day pretty religious to your studies in the classroom. Um, where and how did you kind of get that balance? Because you've also shared you, you have your own uh, learning challenges, but you don't let those hinder you in any way. Hit me. Yeah, so things started off for me. Uh, I'm going to jump briefly a bit before university. So going through high school is when I found out, for example, that I have ADHD and um, family doctors, a lot of complications there. Didn't really know what he was talking about, wasn't able to provide me proper assessments. And it was funny because even at that age, I knew that the assessment he was having me and my family run through was like from like the 1970s and was not modern at all and fitting for someone who is in the ADHD spectrum, but not on the hyperactivity end of it, because there's the inattentiveness and hyperactivity. I was a shy, introverted kid, almost diagnosed as a mute on two occasions. So like people didn't really uh, think that I was ADHD because all the symptom tick boxes are, you know, mm -hmm. can't sit still in class or, you know, can't pay attention easily. It's like I was too overwhelmed with fear of like judgment from other people because of my social, um, I wouldn't say anxiety, but the anxiousness I would feel in social situations, you know, could never comfortably present in front of a class. If I did so much prep had to go into it just to feel comfortable to some standard. But uh, yeah, no, and I found that getting through high school was very challenging. I was a bottom feeding like C minus barely scraping by for everything I did. Unless interestingly, it was something that I loved, then suddenly it became easy. So like ancient civilizations class destroyed, it was easy, I got a plus barely had to put in the effort in because it was just fun and like stuff I already did in my spare time. Same with metalworking, like it was easy. I ended up not doing any of the 14 assignments I was assigned to do, 
but I spent the entire semester just making up a uh, crusader's helmet in the forge. And uh, the teacher loved it so much and my commitment to it and helping other students learn how to use the forge that he gave me an A. So like when I found something I could truly be passionate about, it was very easy to excel at it. And I had very little care or involvement. And this isn't just me here. This is also the schooling system and design of how to teach people like myself. But I struggled and I managed to just brute force my way through it. But then when I graduated and got accepted to Thompson Rivers University in local town, Kamloops, um, Kamloops, BC, the reality I knew was that I can't scrape by anymore the way I have been through high school. Like I was able to get through that because teachers would be so lenient with, you know, hey, it's the end of the semester, but you're really behind on a lot of like, let's give you some makeup assignments so you can pass. And then I would grind and get it done from the stress, you know, just forcing me to hyper-focus essentially. Um, but I knew that wouldn't fly in university. It would just be like, sorry, you suck, suck, you know? <laughs> so so go, had to going into the new space, you just, uh, you knew it was you against the world and you had to take the, I don't know, if you care about something, it's odd that it's the forge and it's ancient civilization. You find the most niche of niche <laughs> things to really sink your teeth in. Uh, was, I mean, was there a trigger? Like, what was it about going to university that you were saying, all right, well, now I have to be a little more serious and disciplined and work. Because I was worried getting out of high school that I could even get into university. But luckily, being local to the city, I guess that makes it a lot easier for them to accept me in. And uh, I didn't even meet two of the criteria, but I guess they just said, oh, screw it. He's a local kid, so we'll get him in. <laughs> but, uh, and I knew that I had a really, really good opportunity ahead of me here, and I didn't want to squander it. That's pretty nice. much it. Like okay. I knew so I wanted post-secondary education. And I hated how limiting the high school system was for what I could learn. Like I was just forced to do things. Well, now that I'm in university, I can pick what I want to do. Right. And that was perfectly aligned with what I wanted to do. So first year university was in a Bachelor of Arts. Going to think I was thinking to do a degree in psychology, um, but that wasn't going well because I realized I hadn't spent enough time thinking about career prospects of what having that degree would lead me to. Um, so at that time, First semester went all right, took four classes, didn't do amazing in any, but didn't fail. So that was cool. Second semester, though, started falling off, took three classes, failed one, uh, couldn't get in on the other because it was a wait list. So I only ended up getting one class worth of credits to pass for that second semester. So I was like, this isn't working. Um, had to smarten up more, realized that I should switch programs, switched into business administration, bachelor's, um, thought I would really like marketing due to the more innovative and creative aspect of it and how it's much more on the frontier in terms of the work that I'd be doing. Um, but still wasn't sold on being in marketing, but I, it just the only thing that really appealed in terms of a major. So did that. And then the summer between my second and third year university is when I moved to Vancouver to uh, actually do a door knocking job. Uh, 100% commission, you know, no fallback salary or anything like that. Company provided housing um, and would like move us around and for a brief month, I was stationed in Calgary to sell there, but for the most part, it was in the lower mainland there, BC. How did you? Uh, that was who, a grind. Who sold you on that? How did you? Uh, what was the? <laughs> a buddy of mine from uh, high school, actually, that uh, was a much more outspoken, outgoing guy, and he said it was a really good opportunity. And he was also looking to just to get some extra cash himself because if you refer people and they do well, then he gets <laughs> a little extra kickback there. So. Okay. But I mainly was sold on it because I had known most of my life that being such an introverted and shy person was really limiting for my opportunities in life. I saw how much I missed out on 
because I was too uncomfortable and afraid in many cases to put myself out there. And I hated that. I really did. It was something I deeply hated about my limitations. So I didn't want that anymore. And I decided what better way to get over speaking with strangers than to just jump into 100% commission. So if I don't sell, I don't exactly face the dragon instead of running from it Um, and diving into that side of things. So I went right into it, did pretty damn good. There was about 30, 33 people in the onboarding class when I started, I believe. And after the first few weeks, half were gone. Um, (laughs) Two months into the four-month summer, there was only six or seven of us left. And at the end of the summer, there was three, myself included. So, you know, door to door is a high, high turnover. And uh, for good reason, people are not the nicest to strangers selling at their door. So, um, you know, a lot of doors are knocking. Say in my Salesforce log, oh, this is, I'm the 18th knock on this door. Got it. (laughs) All right. This will be fun. Um, And like still closing some of them, hence why I was still there at the end of the summer. But uh, definitely some good horror stories, some not the most appropriate, some uh, are fun to share, like having to actually use the self-defense dog, self-defense training we were given in that job during the first week. We spent like a total of almost nine hours doing uh, with a certified self-defense trainer for dog attacks to teach us how to use our <laughs> OtterBox iPad to jam it into a dog's jaws to keep it from biting us if we were attacked at a door. So that was pretty no wild way. that I had to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I had to use that on two occasions. Two occasions wow. I had to jam my iPad in a dog's jaw. And thank God I did that training because I don't think instinctively I would have thought to do that otherwise. Um, and the worst part too is in both situations, the owner was so playful about it. They're like, oh, sorry about that. He's not normally like this. You know, get him down. Meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, could you get the dog inside? He's like trying to bite my arm. <laughs> So like that was pretty funny. Um, I was chased down the street once in Surrey by a guy with a bat. I uh, had to call the cops on him. That was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, and I've got spit on so many times. Got told to fuck off countless so what, times. What's the door slammed in the though? face? All was that. it like you have to? What was? I hope it's not a common occurrence. But are you banging a hundred a hundred doors a day, and then it was like one in a hundred would be like this, and maybe you'd even speak to ten. Like what was the actual? inputs from it's been your... so long that i don't remember like you know what the door open rates were supposedly I'm not, I'm not, i don't recall um been a bit too long for me to recall that but right, i fair. would say on average probably 70 to 80 percent of people were friendly like nice. not everyone's an asshole at the door but the people that are are big assholes you know <laughs> and you, rem- you remember um, they don't those shy more away. than the seven to 70 to 80 for sure yeah and like lots of great memories in that job as well for sure like that's why it reflects so fondly back on it and i learned a lot biggest thing being obviously my social skill development and then tenacity like the ability to just not give a fuck because we'll of course eventually end up chatting about what i jumped into in sales after graduating and that's where that came from in terms of tenacity but so i did that job month of july was on the verge of quitting at the end of that month because i'd made about i think 82 88 dollars for the whole month of July, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, crap, like maybe I should just call it quits. Like this isn't for me. I'll go back to Kamloops, chill with the homies for the last month of summer and then get back to university, you know? But uh, I said, fuck it. Let's just double down. Like it's only a month. Like I'm going to have regrets if I don't try harder here. So that's when sales clicked for me was because at the end of August, I'd made 8.8. Um, and it's like a hundred times my income from the month prior. 
and I didn't learn anything new on how to sell the product. I just tried harder. Like I didn't practice or come up with any new scripts. I just worked harder and more. The best way I could put it is I worked with more intent. Like I was being more intentful with my day, with my prospecting, with my routes I was planning. Um, I was more relentless. Um, so I just, I worked harder. Like I was harder to say no to and slam the door in my face. I remember <laughs> on multiple occasions, actually making sure that when they don't open the door, I could slowly work the conversation to the point where they have the door fully open now. And then I'm taking a step into the door frame to show them the iPad so that there's that, that distance is closed. Cause that helps a lot when you're at the door is closing that, that personal space distance, um, makes it a lot harder for them to be rude to you. And of course, to slam the door on me if my foot's in the doorway. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, no, it was a really good turnaround for me. And when I came back to university after that summer, everyone was like, who the hell are you? Like, what did you do with Devin? Like, you're a completely different person. And I was. I went from talking to literally nobody unless I had to, to making friends with every cashier at a fucking grocery store. You know, mm -hmm. like, it didn't matter where I went. I could then have conversations with strangers because I realized that nothing that could happen to me in a conversation with a stranger would be worse than what I just went through for four months. <laughs> so the, so like, the, the sheer reps and the sheer just yeah. constantly putting yourself in what would previously be your biggest or worst nightmare, you realize it's not so bad. Yeah. And it just gave you yeah. more confidence stepping back into the last year last year of school? Uh, no, no. So second? that was um, okay. between second and third. And I did five years total because I okay. was in that Bachelor of Arts for the first year. And I had to switch and take more classes and all that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I went back to university, was still doing in 30 or four classes per semester. At this point, though, coming back a more social and engaged person and definitely more ambitious, I wanted to take advantage more of the opportunities that you can have in university. So I joined the fashion club because I used to do um, catwalk modeling back then for like Vancouver Fashion Week and stuff. So that was a fun little side adventure as well. But using those skills, I was able to be the male model trainer for the club. So we would run catch, uh, catwalk events and like fashion shows for local brands of clothing throughout the interior of BC. And I would help train up the, uh, the male models on how to do the walk. And we had a female equivalent that did for them because the walks and catwalks are very different depending on <laughs> the gender, I guess. Say, but, um, so that was very interesting. And I, that was my first time being involved with a club and I really enjoyed it. It was a way I could make friends on campus that because being a big gamer, like most of my friends, like I'd go to class, you know, I'd finish my class, take my notes as good of a student as I could, and then go home and play video games until I had to go to bed and wake up, repeat the process. Mm. So I wasn't a great student, but I was like getting it done. You know, at that time I was in the whole mindset of like C's get degrees. Um, so my, my initial ambition of I got to do better when I get into university had kind of been fading, but I was still doing all right. Um, from there, I just got more and more involved. I got involved with the marketing association. Uh, I got involved um, with the politi political side of the uh, university a bit more with the student union and administration. So then when fourth year university came, I ended up actually winning an election for being on the board of governors as a student elected member uh, for the administration of the university. So big deal. two members of the student body were elected to be on the board of governors with all the, like they're the guys that, you know, hire and fire the, the president of the university <laughs> and like decide on tenure and all that. So it was the highest decisioning body for the university as a government's forum. And it was really crazy because I'd never felt like I'd had so much um, uh, power in a position. So it was, it was really stressful at times for sure. Cause you know, we would have like an eight hour long meeting once a month and it was just exhausting. Uh, I shouldn't say once a month, but once about every two months. And uh, 
just exhausting how much content we had to peer over and approvals and votes and all that. So it was a very good experience because it got me exposed to a different world that I'd never seen before. And it was great to be able to represent the student body. I ended up being the only student elect because the other guy that ended up getting elected dropped out like two weeks in. So he didn't like it, it, I guess. (laughs) Um, Yeah, wasn't having it. And uh, that was a really cool experience. And I got really involved from that point on. Ended up uh, joining an intramural dodgeball team that the university competitions were hosting. So that was fun because I I love dodgeball. Um, So getting to play on a dodgeball team, our team's name was Balls to the Wall. Um, So, you know, great, great goddamn team. Those guys were beauties. Our team shirts was just tie-dye and uh, we were hilarious. And then after that year, or sorry, that semester season of the dodgeball, um, captain graduated. So new captain had to step in. I offered and then I was team captain for the following three seasons. Um, so that was a lot of fun getting to help kind of lead a team in a strategic but aggressive uh, event like dodgeball. My team members probably have lots of good memories of me standing on the sideline after getting out, just screaming at them. Um, so that was always fun. A lot of people, when they meet me, they think I'm a very stoic and calm person. But if you see me in badminton or dodgeball, you'll know that that's not true. <laughs> I got, those games are the most uh, sweat equity can can very much prevail. Uh, if you just hustle and work yeah. hard and I mean, you have to have a base oh, yeah. level of athleticism, but, uh, it sounds like yeah. you got involved to be the, the older dad who was heavily involved in their kids' sports and making sure that they weren't <laughs> dropping the ball in any way. So <laughs> kudos. Okay. Yeah. Um, all of the team, my nickname from the team ended up being daddy Devin. So that was, that was, <laughs> that, was the, that was the team name that they'd given <laughs> me. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, did you find, so when, when did, uh. Because what I'm hearing is he slowly but surely kind of got involved outside of the classroom and started to have a little more intent in your choices and your actions and the time that you're spending in university. When and how did that mindset click to within the classroom? Um, What did Mm -hmm. did that look like? And and I asked because when I first met you as an example, this was we're done school, we're now working. Uh, You were still showing me like religious notes you were taking of like podcasts you were recreationally listening to i was like this kid must have just taken a mm-hmm. ridiculous amount of notes in school and stayed organized to a t it didn't look like that was your first time going through it so uh when did that mindset or attitude kind of shift uh and what classes were those if you don't mind entertaining me if you will yeah no totally so um since high school back in high school briefly i'll mention grade 12 and grade 11 i was fortunate enough to be able to take psychology classes not a lot of high schools i've found it apparently offered that but ours did so it got me into it and then uh come university as i mentioned i initially started out with psychology but moved into business and i majored in marketing social media marketing specifically and then i wanted to still be involved with psychology i decided in my fourth year so i realized holy shit i can actually minor in it even though it's in the bachelor of arts program But to minor in it, I had to meet the Bachelor of Arts criteria. So my degree actually ended up having like an additional 24 credits of the 120. So 144 Mm -hmm. compared to the usual bachelor. So I I try harded a little extra and took on more classes just so I could say that I had a degree in marketing and psychology. Um, And I've just always been obsessed with psychology and more modern day now with neuroscience. But I realized from studying the brain, from studying mechanism and research, and memory systems, working memory, active, etc., that you can't trust memory. Like a lot of people have a very big misunderstanding of what memory's purpose is. They think it's to remember things. It's not. 
its purpose is to make sure you don't make the same stupid mistakes over and over again. So for things to actually be memorable, they have to be impactful and meaningful to you. Um, and that's why we tend to learn better from failure than we do from success, which is unfortunate, but a reality of how we're wired. Um, and what ends up happening in the modern world is that can lead to a bunch of other different issues, but um, we can chat about that another day maybe. Um, but with that, I realized that, holy, like, if I end up being one of those people that thinks I can read a book once and like, I, I read this book, I learned all the things I could learn from this book, throw it away onto the next self-development and self-help book, whatever. I realized that that's idiotic and not realistic to how our brains work. Um, idiotic, big, harsh, naive uh, of how that works. And I realized I didn't want to fall victim to that. So when it came to note-taking, I was very meticulous, very, very detail-oriented. A lot of support for like what you get from typical university like study and like help centers was always saying, you know, when you're taking notes, um, don't copy everything word for word. Like, you know, you want to highlight important key facts. And that is generally speaking, a most effective method. But when you're unmedicated ADHD, I found that pure brute force of detail was essential for me. And then what I would do is once I'd had my own copy of the notes that were already on the PowerPoint, but I rewritten every single word, I can then review that and then narrow it from there. So it was like a two-stage process for me. I would take very meticulous, 100% accurate notes first, and then I would make my own modified version afterwards. But it wasn't until fourth year university, first semester, I was taking those four classes, board of governors, like three clubs, dodgeballs, doing so much. And I, I read some things from uh, Ayurvedic practices on how their approach was to dealing with what we call ADHD in the Western mind, but in the more of the uh, Eastern philosophy uh, it would be a vata minds, like a more of a, 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 a not, not water, air, I believe. I, I might mix it. Maybe it is water because vata sounds quite similar, but who knows? <laughs> I'm, I'm mixing it up now. But anyways, the vata mind is a way of flowing where pretty much the advice I found that for someone like myself to be efficient and to be productive, I need to juggle as many tasks, balls as I can at the same time without dropping any. So I found that, yeah, I'm terrible with free time. My free time, if I'm just gaming for the afternoon and like, I'm going to stop gaming at this time and then get to studying, that's not going to happen. I'm going to game until I sleep. Like yeah. my ability to regulate myself, especially when I was unmedicated, was very, very poor. So I had to just keep myself busy doing things. And I found I wouldn't burn out. I have a lot of energy when it comes to juggling a lot of different things. So second semester, fourth year, I now decide I'm going to risk it. I'm going to take five classes, see if I can handle that on top of everything. And I found that, holy, I'm getting better grades. I added a whole other class and I'm doing better in all my classes. At this point, I was getting like B's and I think I got one A that semester. And I was like, holy crap, like I'm so busy. And yet I'm doing better than when I was in that second semester, first year, taking three classes and failing one. <laughs> it's almost like the idle time. The idle time is what just like bleeded. I don't know if bleeded in the past sense of bleeding creeped into all different aspects of your life and would take yeah. away the pro productivity. I think we exactly. underestimate like, you're right, just like busyness helps efficiency long-term and sometimes just bearing more responsibility will help you perform in the things that you're already currently struggling in. It's just revving yeah. your mind up so that it's not just kind of going up and down, up and down, but a steady state of productivity. Um, I'm yeah. with you. That was sim similar to me is just uh, idle hands is what kind of killed me and my best way to produce and create and make sure that my body or my mind is functioning at its highest clip was to get involved in as many things as possible. Um, 
did you link the two in terms of like, so you entered, you were interested in psychology from even in high school and started looking at that uh, in, in your undergrad and business. Did you then make that connection to, to sales of, all right, I mean, knocking yeah. door to door, I'm just making quick interactions hundreds of times a week. Uh, when did you start studying sales? I guess is what I'm getting at. Honestly, as soon as that door-to-door job was happening, because the training that they provided us wasn't really how to do this job, but how to be a better person. Like they were, their training was really just self-development and like nice. making you a more productive person. That was how they trained us. So like content and everything, they gave us booklets and you know demos and stuff and recordings we could review. But person-to-person training was purely on what self-development activities have you been doing, what books, like what journaling, what goal setting. Tell me the detailing of your goal setting. So it was very self-development oriented training and not really focusing on actually doing the job. Um, they, they believed, and I agree with their method for at least the door-to-door environment, that if they can get the person's mind right, they, that person can do the job either way. Um, so that kind of is when it started. Through to university assigning so much reading at this point in my life, I didn't read books at all uh, unless it was for that sales job. Like I just couldn't get myself to read. I hated reading because you know I was assigned to read all the time. Um, I managed to fall back in love with the reading after graduating, but, um, yeah, I was doing this all kind of during the process, but with how busy I was at university, I wasn't really working on sales skill development as much. I was just so focused on everything I was juggling. And then fifth year, final year hit for university. I decided we're going to take six classes and see how that goes (laughs) and, uh, managed to pull that off while still doing all the clubs and all this other crap. And then final year I did seven classes. Our final semester, I did seven classes and all the clubs and wasn't Board of Governors anymore, but still doing the clubs um, and being very involved with my friends. And I was fortunate enough to have a host situation where I could host parties fairly frequently with <laughs> friends. So that was always enjoyable, helped deal with the stress for sure. But yeah, I was very involved with the university. A lot of people knew me because of my involvement. Like at one point, I was also, I forgot, I did a semester as a social media brand ambassador for the business school. So that I ran their Instagram content for with a few other people the semester and that was a fun bit of experience but i just found that yeah in that final semester with the seven classes and all that i ended up getting like almost straight a's and it was like who the fuck am i compared to first year where i did three classes and still failed one like um it was very different yeah a full evolution of progressively going more balls to the wall through university and as you do that finding success if you will um okay yeah and then did you, I mean, what was your intent after post-graduation? Like for me, I stumbled into sales. I didn't know that this was a career path. I maybe had the door knocking sales experience after much later in my life. So I kind of stumbled into sales and have now made a, a career out of it. Were you a little more intentful in, all right, now that I'm done school, I want to apply and go directly into X sort of position or X sort of uh, environment? Yeah. So as you know, my first job in, out of university was working with you um, in terms of sales. And I was living in Kamloops when I interviewed with you guys. And it was a remote role. So I was able to do it well, remotely. Um, so I, I remember my start date was like half a week after I did my final final exam. Um, and then I started working with you guys. And then two weeks after that, my partner and I moved to Toronto. Um, so we we're like, you know, we, we love, we love home. We love the mountains. We're definitely BC people, but we both had a sense of adventure and I'd already lived in Vancouver. She'd been there quite a few times. Um, and the only other option we were considering in Canada was Toronto. So we said, fuck it. 
neither of us had ever been east of Calgary. We had no idea what the hell was out here. Um, so yeah, three months rent down in advance on a place right three minute walk from Dundas Square, fifty fourth floor. Just like Damn. put the pressure on ourselves. Beautiful view because I wanted a view. If I'm going to be in a flat part of the country, I want to at least have a view. Um, and uh, yeah, like I really value that time because for a long part of my life, I was definitely a stoner as well through university. So being able to um, use that as a way to relax and to reflect on what I was doing was really effective, especially in my early career in sales. So I moved to Toronto, kept working that role with you guys for a few months and then uh, ended up moving on from there. Uh, as you and I both know, things change. So <laughs> I remember uh, a quick sidebar on the tenacity before one of like things mm. changing is uh I used to ask just to maybe test for resilience or see how somebody would face for face and deal with rejection. Something along the lines of like, all right, well, I mean, say this call went well, you went through the rest of the interview process, kind of impressed A, B, C, and D persons in the organization. It seemed like a shoe in uh, for some odd reason though, you get a rejection letter. Like, unfortunately we decided to move in a different direction. How would you deal with that? Uh, and it was almost second nature to you. You didn't really second, uh, you didn't even really catch your breath. It's like, I don't know. I, I, fair, I understand. I recognize sales is uh, a game of rejection. And, and this is where I know I want to be and how I want to develop and build my career. So I anticipate your business is going to grow. Confirm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, apply next said, year yeah. and kind of keep going <laughs> through the, the ringer. So, um, yeah, that was exactly it. I, I remember when you gave me that question, I was like, well, I'll apply again when I see the posting again and I'll try my luck then. And you were like, ah, oh, fuck, this guy's yeah. relentless. You won't, so you won't stop. I like it. Um, where do you think, uh, for me, like I, I'm a, all right, rep. I think I'm a better coach. Like I was always a run of the mill rep. I was never a, a top performer. And I found my strength somewhat in being able to like recognize good and recognize things that we need to replicate and build a system. But I know that I can only improve in a lot of my sales skills and like different parts of the, the process of journey and try to work on that and consume and practice and what have you um, trying to be aware of my shortcomings. Where do you think your shortcomings in sales lie? Uh, what, are, what are some of the things you're focusing or working on today, if you will? Yeah. I mean, a big weakness I've always had due to being uh, very creative and innovative with my process. I really value, um, iterations over experience that's why i believe i've been able to have the growth in my sales career in the few years since i've graduated um i've managed to really focus in on trying out things over and over and over and over and tracking what works and what doesn't so i can limit test because i might find a system for example that works all right and i'm getting good results with it and i know a lot of people would say i'm just going to keep doing this because it's working but I'm a very risk-prone person and I'm all right with stepping out of my comfort zone and it's gotten me so much opportunity in my life so far. So it's just kind of become second nature for me. Um, I'll change up that system even if it works, even if the new system I might work, try working with, whether it's the sequencing, the how I'm structuring my days, call blocks, et cetera, um, prospecting methodologies, uh, even entire sales styles, whether I'm using things like challenger sales, spin selling, adaptive selling models, like whatever I'm choosing to work with, I change it very, very often. And that's been a weakness. It's been a strength for sure, but it's also been probably one of my biggest weaknesses because I have lost sales jobs before due to a lack of consistency. So when I am able to provide so much value for an organization that sometimes goes unappreciated um, 
and don't get me wrong. I know it's not just, oh, why couldn't they appreciate me for all the good I was doing for them? The reality is, is my job is to provide revenue for the company. And if they wanted me to be a coach helping train the team, they would have hired me for that. So I tend to dip my toes in other responsibilities that I'm not necessarily supposed to be doing. And while I'm able to add value, I know to the organizations as I do it, that's not what I was hired to do. So definitely consistency within the narrowness of certain job conditions and like my responsibilities. I struggle with that for sure, which is why more recently I've been looking more and more into startups and organizations that are in the earlier stages. Mm -hmm. And I've even had the pleasure of working for two so far, um, one a bit longer than the other. But being able to be in those environments, I realize is much, much more effective for me because the people I'm working with are hiring me for my innovation. They're hiring me for the fact that I'm going to change up the systems, bring new ideas to the table. So for me, being in a larger organization, you know, being on SDR team four out of eight is uh, not not at all where I want to be. <laughs> no, I'm with um, you. I think I it's, not a, need that it's a good environment. Still, it's yeah. So for me, definitely a weakness is consistency for sure because I like to experiment. I'm a very experimental person. You want to tweak the playbook, well. refine the playbook sometimes versus just like executing and being more. You're not so much a cog in the wheel, which is fair yes. and fine. But and and to no knock yeah. on anybody that is SDR four of eight team. Uh, it, you're just a fit somewhere for everybody type of thing. So it's just being aware and cognizant yeah, of what you sure. like, like, how I'm you not, work, adapt. Exactly. Like, I don't want to know the people doing that kind of work. That's still important. Otherwise, that role wouldn't exist, right? Like, yeah. that is essential for a business to succeed and thrive. And those people should have a lot of pride in that work. It's just not a fit for me. It doesn't work. Um, sales development, though, still in some way, shape, or form is where you've been focusing, honing your creativity. Yeah. Um, it's mm -hmm. a good one for And like you, realizing ways for me to develop. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to add, like, when I did manage to finally get back into reading books, for example, I realized the reason I struggled so much with getting back into books is because I would read one for a bit, get bored of it, put it down, not pick it up again for months. Um, so what I've done now is I alternate between a lot of books. Right now yeah. I'm doing, I think, 12 or 13 books, and I just alternate constantly. Like I can literally be reading one for maybe a few hours. Or sometimes I might be reading it for like a minute and I'm like, you know what? No, I don't want to read this. But I'll still force myself to keep reading because I've allocated time that I'm going to spend reading and growing my skills. So I'll just pick up another book. Try that one. Doesn't It doesn't get the dopamine flowing. Fine. Next. Next. So I, and I'll I keep do going similar. until it sticks. I do similar. I think there's benefit and merit to like I don't know, 12. 12 seems like a lot for me, but uh, we'll say four or five in just like rolling with what works where your attention and what's really connecting like we need like getting you motivated to continue with something can yeah. you not also say and this is me just trying to play devil's advocate against myself somewhat can you not also say though that that almost uh works against a little bit of that consistency that you're you're struggling with because you're not pursuing or persevering through a bit of the pain of like this book sucks I'm not really engaged in it but i'm going to keep going how do you find mm -hmm. that fine line. I don't know if I explained that well. No, no, I, I totally understand what you mean. Uh, I agree. I think it definitely doesn't help with the issues I have with consistency, but I'm not, it's a weakness that I'm not really wanting to change because I've learned more. I've, I've spent a lot of time reflecting and thinking about these things for myself and who I see myself as, as a person. And I know we were chatting about how we might want to jump into meaning and purpose and run a little bit lower on time here, but 
that's definitely a conversation maybe we can have another time. Yeah. But uh, for me, I just, I want to stay true to myself and how I, what I deem is self-respect for my limitations cognitively and knowing what I'm good at and what I'm weak at. And I value being a generalist more than a specialist. I believe that when it comes to decision-making, especially in things like startup um, and more entrepreneurial-minded activities that I plan on getting into in the future, I know that from the research and just from the philosophies I've studied that a generalist is more suited for decision-making when the decisions are involved in multi-complex processes that have a massive web of interplaying variables. Like The more things that are interplaying with a system the more complicated it is, right? Like if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm trying to have um, a very specific uh, specialist in like, for example, sales for my specific industry, helping design my process and team, that's understandable. That's fair. But if I'm looking to decide where I want to move my product into an industry, that's not something that should be made from a very narrow perspective. It should be incorporating a lot of different views, like the political landscape. Like there's a lot of different players that are going to be affecting flows and changes of industries, the global stage, like there's a lot always moving on and there's no way that anyone can understand it all. The best analogy I've heard to kind of describe this is, you know, you go to a, a general practitioner, right? If you have fortunate enough in Canada right now to have a family doctor, you're going to go to a general practitioner first and then they're going to be able to help say, okay, yeah, I think this we should look at. Let's send you to this specialist, this specialist, this specialist, whatever. Um, and then that's the person that's going to give you the more precise uh, diagnosis. But you don't want to go right to that specialist if you think it might be that because it could be something else. And then they mm -hmm. might say it's this when it's actually something else. So that's where the generalist is really important and why there's a lot of value in having a family doctor, a general practitioner that you can see because they have your history. Right. So that's what I mean by the interplaying variables, because it's not just, OK, what's happening right now? What's happening in the past? Because so many things that involve decision making if you ignore the past you're gonna you know replay it like there's that classic uh, quote you know those who ignore the past are doomed to repeat it like that's a thing that is very true if you look at history and if you look at even individual success and failures the ability to incorporate your past uh, experience is wisdom right like to be able to look at the failures and things that you've done and know what value you can take away from that and then share that either with your future self or with other people is wisdom. And good decision makers are almost always seen as very wise people. It's almost like they're mutually like connected there. So that's how I see it. And that's why I value um, being able to incorporate a lot of different information all the time. Does it help with consistency? Definitely not. Um, is it something that I've decided is worth the sacrifice I make? Uh, for me, yes. Could be the framing too. Um, could be the framing insofar as uh, there's benefit from what I'm hearing. Like you, you appreciate being able to see multiple perspectives, all the different angles that you might take on a business problem or any personal problem, whatever it may be. And having the context, the history of all these different variables allows you to make better decisions. You could say that the consistency piece comes to consistently looking at all these different variables and then putting all, Definitely. taking in all the inputs to process all of them at one given time and being able to still so like sales like For everything sure. it's just being able to position yourself and your skills accordingly to extract the most value out of it as opposed to like leaving it uh, after whatever it may be um i know we have to mm -hmm. wrap up soon but I, i'd be amiss to to not at least pull a little bit of neuroscience out of you because i know that's something you've 
uh, often just personally been curious about. If there were three things that you would look into from like a scientific or mechanism perspective that have changed how you live your life and how you look at maybe personal development or getting the most out of your day, um, what are those for you? I know you just sent me one on NSDR and naps and what have you, but I might be missing two or three others. So hit me. (laughs) Yeah. So... 100% 100% morning sunlight as uh, the trendy man himself and the Huberman always puts forward to. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll give you a Huberman list. But no, I'll, I'll highlight what I've seen, though, that I, like, once again, you're speaking in terms of value. And I've gone through Huberman's content religiously, but I've also done a lot of my own research over the years. And not like what a lot of people say when they say they're doing research. Like, I'm going through scholarly data and checking sources and reviewing mm. data analytics and all that. So, like, I'm nerdy. I like my data. Um <laughs> And the reality is, is that a lot of what he talks about for the value of morning sunlight is very, very true. The importance of having morning sunlight for a period of about six to 20 minutes within the first hour of waking up is essential for regulating pretty much every single thing you could possibly think of. Memory, effectiveness, productivity, uh, mood regulation, like physical performance, uh, stress regulation, like just, just everything. It's everything. Um, weight loss, like metabolism. There's, there's nothing that can't be tracked as a market improvement significantly with having consistent REM cycles and consistent day-wake circadian rhythms. And that is all programmed by light exposure. So in the evenings, you know, dimming the lights that are overhead, keeping lights lower to the ground, all that, that's essential. Um, I won't ramble on that one anymore because it's been said enough by people like Huberman and others on the internet. So morning sunlight, evening light being properly set, vital. Um, Game changer. Anytime I miss out on that, I can very quickly notice its negative effects of lack of. Besides that, the ability to understand when you're going in and out of ultradian cycles, which is something that actually humans also discuss, but I've gotten really obsessed with that area of data, um, which is similar to like the circadian rhythm, but your circadian rhythm is a 24-hour cycle, while the ultradian cycles are 90 minutes, and those are periods that your brain goes through automatically in and out throughout the day. Um, Your first ultradian cycle happens, I believe, approximately four hours after your temperature minimum, which is usually about uh, one to two hours before you wake up. So if you have a consistent wake-up time, one to two hours before you wake up, four hours from that point is when, so we could say one to two hours or two to three even uh, after you wake up is typically when the first ultradian cycle begins. And for that 90-minute period, your focus will be more enhanced. Um, It'll dim at the beginning and it'll dim at the end of those 90 minutes. But throughout that process, it's really good to do deep focused work. And then understanding that maybe if I work then for 70 minutes at a time and have 20 minute buffers between each ultradian cycle to relax, recharge, and then, you know, reanalyze and then sprint again for the next 70 minutes, let's say. But um, that's been really effective for being productive with work. I tend to organize a lot of my days and my call blocks around my biological cycles that I can understand as well as possible from the research that's available to be as productive as I can, which is why as you know, I do productivity coaching for people. So if anyone who's watching this wants to reach out, I'm happy to have a chat and look at your life and how you've designed things to see if there's a way we can make it more optimal for you. Because all of these mechanisms, it doesn't matter what your profession is, it doesn't matter what your interests are, they are still going to be reliant on the existing neurology that you have running your brain. So knowing how to leverage this in practical ways has been one of my major obsessions for a few years now. So that's been a lot of what I've done. And I guess a third topic I'll quickly touch on when you mentioned there, NSDRs, non-sleep deep rest protocols, 
Um, yoga nidra is one that's been commonly done for thousands of years, and it is essentially a state of doing calm, relaxed body scans and entering a deep and state of relaxation. It's been shown that even a 20-minute NSDR session is more effective than sleeping for an hour and a half in the afternoon in terms of restoration, cognitive functions, dopamine increases of over 60% from doing a 20-minute NSDR session that'll last like three hours afterwards. So and that's more effective, by the way, than even caffeine in some instances. So it's crazy how resting and doing things that are beneficial for your learning because you learn while you're resting and sleeping. Um, and for your ability to rest your body so your energy levels stay consistent for the rest of the afternoon. If you've got a side hustle or grind or going out for dinner with friends and you want to be present and awake, NSDR is an incredible easy thing that you can find for free on the internet. So Very those cool. are two big ones that I'd like to highlight for sure. Day, uh, sunlight, daylight, uh, just using light to regulate your circadian rhythms. Yeah. Take understanding in, how light affects you. Yeah. Take in ultradian rhythms and just understanding your energy levels now that there's peaks and troughs or hills and valleys of, of yeah. your energy and being able to adapt your productivity and your lifestyle to that. Uh, and last, NSDR, uh, like shorter naps, if you will, can enhance cognitive performance. I'm, I love it. I'll, I'll leave you with one yeah. that I found interesting. And I think that there's I wouldn't so say it's just, ahead. sorry, real quick, Nick, yeah. Nick, there with the, it's not just shortened naps. It's a very specific set of tasks you go through. So make Body sure scans. that for anyone listening, you do yoga nidra or NSDR is what you search and you listen to those okay. scripts because it's a very particular process. It's very unique. It's not just closing your eyes and relaxing to it and falling asleep for 20 minutes. It's a deliberate focus driven activity. I've microdosed doing a yoga nidra once by accident. I didn't realize mm. it was going to go to, and it was, <laughs> it, it almost felt like a full hero's journey. And I was taken aback by how Crazy. much they kind of take on. The last one I'll leave you with though. I listened to uh, mm. Courtney DeWalter, endurance athlete, endurance runner, runs hundreds. Crazy. She, she's with the campaigns of the world, if you will. She was sharing one of her journeys on a 250 kilometer run. And deep into the race, we'll say she was, gassed and most people will take actual full six hours sleeps five hours sleeps and get back out there yeah she struggled to sleep so what she did is she just like laid on the side of the the trail what she's like i got up and i felt extremely refreshed it felt like i was down for 30 minutes uh i looked over to my pacer and she's like no you were down for a minute and that one minute of just i don't know if it was a body scan at that point it's probably just like your body's screaming for (laughs) everything uh she's like <laughs> it, it gave me life for the next 70 kilometers because i felt just recharged so there's i think that there's so much untapped in terms of sleep psychology and neuroscience that helps unlock more of your energy and your awareness and all those things for sure yeah the modern day of neuroscience what it's really helping do is decode the user manual for humans like that's yeah. what we're doing now in the modern day of terms of research it's very practical and in the 1970s 60s and even up to the 80s that wasn't really possible with the technological limitations but now it is so we're learning a lot and the reality is is there's still far more to learn than there is that we understand it's incredibly complicated but we're constantly learning new fun things so it's always good to see what's out there always good to chat with Devin. anywhere from uh going balls to the wall and dodgeball to ancient civilization (laughs) to the frontier that's why i enjoy it it's always all over the place in terms of just curiosity so uh enjoy a, a common productive day for the rest of, we'll do this again and we can explore definitely purpose more neuroscience topics because i always find it good more, uh, rejuvenating so inshallah hell yeah well thanks so much for having me appreciate yeah, it it's been fun we'll see you thanks dev thank you 